You've tuned in to 96.7 on your FM dial. This program is called QOL. And during the month of January and a little piece of February, I've actually opted to provide you with a slightly different content. Instead of hosting, I'm just introducing. This is Hugh Cruzel, and the program, as mentioned, is QOL on 96.7 on your FM dial. My guest host today, once again, Brooke Davies. Brooke Davies is in the Masters of Social Work in her qualifying year at Laurentian University. She's been a teacher for over 10 years and recently has become a student herself again, returning to Laurentian to study social work. As one of her courses, she was tasked with becoming involved in a social change initiative. Brooke volunteers with seniors and calls her 89-year-old grandpa one of her best friends and has always been curious about aging and the discrimination that often associates with the process. Since she struggled to find an existing initiative to work with ageism, Brooke decided to create her own. With the help of CKLU and this program, QOL, here in Sudbury, Brooke hopes to create public awareness, bringing to light some of the widespread discrimination people face based on their age. Through this four-part series, Brooke and her guests explore conversations about ageism and how it intersects with ableism, capitalism, and sexism. These conversations merely scratch the surface of this deep-rooted form of discrimination. The hope here is to inspire further ongoing conversation and action around the barriers, stereotypes, and consequences of ageism. Please welcome Brooke Davies in conversation about ageism. By the year 2021, Ontario will be home to 3 million people over the age of 65. It was revealed by the Ontario Human Rights Commission in their report entitled Time for Action, Advancing the Rights of Older Persons in Ontario, that older Ontarians face ageism on a daily basis. The report warns that older adults face serious barriers because of this discrimination, and there's an urgent need to eliminate ageism. One of the suggestions that came out of this report was to create public awareness campaigns using media such as radio and podcasts. So here I am on 96.7 FM CKLU in Sudbury. I'm Brooke Davies and this is Experiences with Ageism. My guest today is Jennifer Goslin. Hi Jennifer. Hey Brooke. How's it going? Good, thank you. Thanks for having me today. Thank you for being here. Um, I'm wondering if maybe you could tell us a little bit about where we are right now and what your role is here. Yeah, for sure. So I am a registered social worker and I work at St. Joe's Continuing Care Center. Um, this is an organization that specializes in uh, care for older adults. Uh, we run two long-term care facilities and a continuing care center. The first six years that I worked here, I was in the long-term care sector. In the last two years, for a year and a half, I've been um, at the St. Joe's Continuing Care Center. So the roles look a little bit similar, but there is some differences. Right. Can you talk a little bit about um, some of the similarities and differences? Yes. So I guess the main difference at St. Joe's Continuing Care Center is that the people that come here are returning back to community. So while long-term care, they're there for most likely the end of their lives. Um, here at St. Joe's Continuing Care Centre, we're having to return them to community with appropriate services and making sure that they're going home safely. Right. Can you talk a little bit about that process of getting them home safely and some of the concerns that you have to consider? 
Yeah. So usually when you come to St. Joe's Continuing Care Center, it's because something acute may have just happened to you or you may have been experiencing a functional decline for the last little while. Um, and so our goal here is for you to return, come here so that we can strengthen you up and then return you back to community. Obviously with that comes some system issues and some psychosocial issues that makes it difficult to do. So when people come here and maybe can't return back to their baseline function, we need to figure out ways to return them to community in a safe way. Um, and with that comes a lot of system navigation and uh, services that we have to look at to see if we can get them back in community with appropriate services. Great. And, and what are some of the difficulties or um, maybe roadblocks that older adults would face when they're trying to navigate that system on their own? Yeah, so I think, you know, we have wonderful services um, in Ontario. We have wonderful services in Sudbury. Um, unfortunately, with older adults, uh, some of these services are easier navigated using technology, for example, finding right. websites that go over all the different services. But unfortunately, some of the people that we work with just don't use technology. So there's definitely older adults that are able to, but there's a lot of older adults that can't do that. Mm -hmm. um, and so in this particular case, it's helpful for the older adult to have someone like me that can go in, let them know what's out there, help them connect to those services so that they're not having to do that difficult navigation on their own. And when they do return back into the community, one of the things that came out of this Ontario human rights investigation into ageism is that a lot of the time, society is sort of set up to favor younger people or or sort of assume that everybody is able-bodied and young. Can you talk to that a little bit? Yeah, what immediately comes to mind when you kind of talk about that is um, discharging people home. So uh, we know that older adults, some have private pensions, many do not. They're lower income, many of the people that I work with. Um, and so when they're living in an atmosphere that's not accessible any longer, we sometimes have to help them find a place that would be better for them. Mm -hmm. um, something that I've never had to do is shop for an apartment for myself, um, but it's been really eye-opening trying to find apartments for older adults. Um, not only is rent very high in this community, mm -hmm. but then we are starting to deal with accessibility issues. So to find an affordable apartment that allows someone that uses a walker or a wheelchair or who someone who's unable to do stairs uh, tends to be very difficult for them. Right. Yeah, I, I can imagine. Um, sometimes I go into places in the community and I think, wow, this space is not conducive to a wheelchair or a walker or whatever it happens to be. And trying to find somewhere that they're going to be able to live and be comfortable. Yeah, I can only imagine some of the barriers that that might be faced. Mm -hmm. So can you tell us a little bit about how you got into social work in the first place? Yeah, for sure. Um, so Social work was always a contender for me, and I went through lots of stages in life. And I'm going to be honest, uh, when I first mentioned social work, I was probably early high school, um, and most of my family said, no, you don't want to do that. Mm. So um, given the negative feedback about that job, it sort of steered me away from it, thinking, mm. okay, everyone must know something that I don't know. Um, and so I sort of lost, I lost vision of what I wanted for myself, and that became a little bit of an issue for a little while. But then something continued to just call me to it. And so I decided that I need to kind of figure it out. So I took my first year of social work at Laurentian University. And that's where I kind of realized, yes, this is exactly where I fit. And although maybe it's not the career choice for many people, it is likely the right career choice for myself. And what about it do you think was calling you toward it? Mm -hmm. I think it's honestly just so in line with my 
personal ideology. So I believe that people need equal chances. I believe in equality. I believe that some people just need a little help. Um, and so that stuff, all that course, all the courses, they were just so in line with the way I already naturally kind of was thinking. I don't know. I think it's one of the most rewarding careers. I think it's one of the most challenging careers. Um, and so I'm happy that I stuck through it. Uh, despite all the feedback I got from everybody else, uh, I'd say I'm pretty happy with my choice. And so in terms of the difficult aspects of it, and maybe in some way tying it into this issue of ageism, what are some of the difficult aspects that you have to deal with when you're in this field? Yeah, I think if you ask any social worker, we all know that there's several levels of system issues. And so while it might be easier to do that micro level social work or figure out little, you know, things that can make people's lives better that directly affect them. At the end of the day, sometimes what we see is symptoms of much bigger issues on a micro or macro level, right. uh, sorry, the middle level or macro level. Um, and so I think it gets really frustrating because you see a lot of the same people um, having the same issues. And this is all because of maybe a much larger system issue. It's very hard to make change on that. It's very hard to kind of just accept that at times we can't make the changes we need to so that not so many people are having issues because of that policy. So right. I think that's one of the hardest things to accept is that, you know, we try to make system level changes, but obviously the bigger the system is, the harder it is to get that traction to make change. What were some, if you don't mind me asking, what were some of the other professions, uh, jobs, careers that were um, contenders for you in addition to social work? Yeah. Um, my other contender was to be a teacher. And um, so I wanted to do that. I think in the, in many ways, they're a little bit similar. I think, again, they're careers that you help somebody. I do consider myself someone that loves to teach and to kind of um, translate knowledge to other people. And I guess the thing that I really loved about teaching is letting um, my creative creativity take over. That's something that personally is important to me. But uh, that wasn't the right career choice for me. I know that. And again, I'll probably get into this a little bit later. There was always a calling for me to work in geriatrics. Mm. I always was interested working in older adults. And again, not everyone understood that. But I think that might have actually been a major influence in why I ended up in social work rather than teaching. Cool. We'll get into that later. Well, actually, the next question that I was going to ask you was, did you always know that you wanted to work with older adults? And it kind of sounds like, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I don't know that I already knew. So um, my friends that all I talked to about my career, I've had two very close friends, um, three actually, since junior kindergarten. So we've known each other since we're three years old. And mm -hmm. one of them said to me recently, Jen, you always just loved working with older adults. And I kind of had to step back and I realized she was absolutely right. And then I found a book from myself in grade seven uh, that I, I didn't remember I had. And I looked through it and it said, when I grow up, I want to. And it was a blank. And I looked at it and I wrote, obviously not the right wording now, but I want to work with old people. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And so I wanted to do that then. And then in high school, anytime I had to do any kind of volunteer work, I ended up at long-term care facilities and I absolutely loved it and I could have stayed there for many more hours than I was supposed to. Um, I'd be there for an hour and I'd want to stay for three and my friend that was with me would sort of be like okay let's go we're done and I just wanted to stay the rest of the night. Um, so there were little hints all the way through that I was going to want to work with older adults but I think I really figured it out in my 20s which, which I'm really happy I did. 
And so what do you think are some of the reasons why you enjoy working with older adults so much? I asked myself this question. So I, I, I would probably say that the, this career is both complex, um, rewarding, and I think it hits all the marks for me. I like, I like a challenge, and there's definitely many challenges working with older adults, but rewarding. Um, the people that I work with are so grateful for, you know, 10 minutes of your time, or maybe they just need someone that day to reflect on their lives for 40 minutes, and that changes their whole week or their whole day. Mm. Um, so it's really rewarding in that way. There's not too many people that get to say they got to sit down with a 100-year-old right. with 100 years of life experience and learn life lessons from that person. So, of, of course, I'm here to help them, but in many ways, my patients and the people that I work with have helped me. That's great. And I love what you were saying about it's not many people that get to sit down with somebody who's 100 years old, and then you add it and has 100 years of experience. I think so often when we're looking at ageism, a lot of people kind of start to dismiss people as they get older, but it sounds like you've really found some benefits and you know what I'm getting yeah. at here? Yeah. The importance of their life. Yeah. I, I hope to reframe what aging looks like by the end of this, because through those you know, interactions with older adults. There's many things that we need to understand about aging. So what do you think are some of the maybe biggest misconceptions then? Like when you're talking about things that we need to understand better, what do you think are some things that we don't, we just general population just doesn't get? I think, I guess the main statement I want to say is aging is such a unique experience. Nobody ages the exact same way. And I think there's an assumption out in the community sometimes that aging equates to the breakdown of the body. Aging means that let quality of life is no longer there. Um, and through my work with older adults, I would argue that that's very much not the case. Mm -hmm. um, yes, do we lose some abilities as we age? Sometimes. But if you sit down with a lot of people this age, they can say, I am, I still have quality of life. I still am able to interact with my family members. I still enjoy knitting. I still drive. I still work. All those things. And so these the, these people's lives are meaningful. And I wouldn't, I think that maybe there's a little bit of a perception that aging means almost failing. Right. Um, so I think that's the big takeaway I would like everyone to understand is that aging isn't failing. Aging looks different, but aging's not failing. I love that. Aging is not failing. That's mm -hmm. great. And something that I wonder about too, that you brought up is is quality of life. So you talked about how aging looks different. Everybody has sort of different ideas around aging. I think everybody also has different ideas around quality of life too. I think sometimes we have this ageist idea that, oh, if you can't drive, exercise, you know, go out for a run every day, go get your own groceries, do all this stuff, then your quality of life must be terrible. But that's just not true. And that's also just not the reality for everybody because we all view our own quality of life in different ways. For some people, quality of life might be, hey, as long as I can sit on the couch and talk with my family, that's all that I want. Yeah, so that's another kind of um, passion of mine. Um, I am a regional champion through Hospice Palliative Care Ontario, and through that we have conversations about advanced care planning, goals of care, healthcare consent, and the basis around advanced care planning and goals of care is to talk to each individual about what is quality of life for you. So again, so important to kind of focus and understand that each person's experience is unique. And then so basically it's really important for us as healthcare practitioners, as family members, as loved ones, to make sure that we're 
having those conversations because who better to tell us what quality of life means than the person themselves. And I would honestly say, even when I've worked with people with maybe moderate dementia, even severe dementia, they can still usually tell you or show you in some way what mean what's meaningful to them, yeah. whether it be through a smile, whether it be through, you know, dance, singing to a song, they're still able to communicate what's important to them and if their quality of life is kind of ideal or not ideal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's important too for us to have those what oftentimes we consider to be difficult conversations mm-hmm. with our loved ones when they're, you know, in a situation where they can tell us what they hope their quality of life will look like. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think that, again, I don't know that it's necessarily ageist, but I would argue that it is. It's like we're afraid of talking about later years of life or end of life. Uh, we're sort of, yeah, ew, we don't want to talk about that. Or, oh, that's morbid. Well, it's something that we're all going to have to face. So it's just interesting that we're, a lot of us are sort of afraid to talk about it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For lots sure. of, that could be a whole other podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, So do you think there was a big focus on ageism when you were doing your social work degree? Do you think there's even a big focus on ageism right now? As you know, I'm a Laurentian alumni. Um, Again, I'm scared to say no. And the reason why is once again, once I chose to be a social worker and people found out that potentially I'd be interested in being a social worker with older adults. So like Doug, I felt like I was with a double stigma there. I really got the impression that people felt that me working with older adults was kind of the bottom of the barrel type mm. social work. And that, and you know, I guess maybe one of my main regrets at this point is listening to that. Um, so I, I still to this day have people that I'm related to or friends that feel that, you know, well, you're a social worker in an old age home or you're a social worker with old people and it's a negative context. Mm-hmm. Um, so For a little while in my education, I steered clear again um, from older adults, thinking that maybe my success would be marked by working with younger people. And so I think that in some of my courses, I had choices. I know there was a course for older adults that I didn't take because I did the course for the young children. Um, So I don't think that it was non-existent. I think that I probably chose not to go into that path, but I would hope that in those type of courses that this is this is something that we're talking about. In reflection, do I feel like geriatrics was a huge topic? I'll be honest and say no. Yeah. I don't think there was a whole a huge focus on it in the course. I'd like to see more of it for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, well, I think it's interesting that you bring up sort of a, a bigger idea that lots of people around you were getting, like you were getting that idea from somewhere that, oh, I don't know if working with older people is going to help my career is going to be, you know, there was obviously something that was bigger at play there that general population were saying, oh, old people, you don't want to work with them. So that's really interesting because that's a, a huge example of ageism. And I know obviously there's nothing wrong with working with younger people. I'm a teacher and now I'm getting into social work. Obviously, I love working with kids, but I do feel like there's sort of a general feeling or understanding that, well, you can help kids more and you can make more of an impact on their life. You know, older adults, well, it's, you know, their life is already basically over. What's the point sort of thing, which is 
terrible. Is this something that you can identify with? Yeah, and I say all the time, listen, the kids that we're working with and helping through, guess what happens? Ideally, they age, right? right. And so right. by the time you're 80 years old, the issues that you had as a child that were important to one is all of a sudden deemed maybe not as important now. Um, and if anything, I see, you know, such a sense of resilience with these older adults because they got through that. And so, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes it's just it's disheartening because the the worst thing that maybe happened to some of these people is that they became older. Right. right. So while there's still so many people with a lot of strengths and abilities, sometimes due to aging and disease processes and things, that's all that's happened is that they've they've aged and that that's what's stopping them from being able to have accessible housing or they don't have a pension that can cover the cost of you know new dentures because they need it so um i i would say that obviously social work's important in every stage of life and i don't see why we would just throw you away or toss you aside and see it as unimportant because now you're over the age of 50 55. and i, I want to pick up on something that you shared there as well which was hopefully kids are going to become, I mean, hopefully everybody's going to experience getting older. So there, I feel like there's a lot of attention on um, sexism and racism and lots of other isms that are incredibly important. What I find interesting about ageism is that it is very intersectional. Like people of all different races, all different genders, they're all going to hopefully experience aging. And unfortunately, to some degree, probably ageism. Mm -hmm. So I feel like, yeah, it's it's an area that's not necessarily explored or talked about very much, but it's something that will affect. I've said this when I interviewed my mom for the first episode, but in a weird way, it's the discrimination that doesn't discriminate. Like it kind of hits everybody. <laughs> so do you think that there seems to be a bit of, of a gap then in, we've kind of already talked about this, but a bit of a gap in terms of social work education with an older population. Like, I, to my knowledge, I don't know of many specialized programs. Yeah, I think there might be a program down south somewhere that has a geriatric focus in their master's program. But um, I think with social work, you kind of graduate from your BSW, you obtain some, you know, hopefully some work experience, and then maybe you go into your master's or your or your PhD. Decide, hey, I'm going to do my master's, and my focus and my thesis is going to be based on older adults. I'm hoping that's how we build capacity. I think that's probably what I'm working towards. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, although there's not a whole bunch of specialized programs, I guess we can take things into our own hands after that BSW and say this is what I will focus on and this is what. I will do my research on moving forward. Yeah. Okay. So I think we'll we'll um, start to wrap up here on three sort of rapid fire questions that I have for you. But just because I'm calling them rapid fire, take your time. <laughs> um, so the first thing that I want to ask you is, can you give me three words? that, or more if you would like, that describe your work with older adults? So rewarding, um, I've said that earlier, complex. Uh, there's nothing more complex than geriatrics working in geriatrics and with older adults. Their health is different and things, treatments and things like that work differently. And sometimes when you try to treat one thing, it automatically turns into a bad thing in another way. So it's really um, exciting for me to learn how everything kind of comes into play and snowballs into one person. And then finally important, I'd love everyone to understand that the work in this population is important. It's not the bottom of the barrel type of work. It's, it, it is very important. We have a huge aging population and they've done so much to build this city for us. I think at the very least we can do is help 
help them at the stages of their life where maybe it's getting a little harder for them. Talking about building the city for us, I almost sort of feel like we're living in an era that is very individualistic. It's very much, I have to take care of myself and my immediate family. There's sort of a bit of a lack of, well, I shouldn't say there's a lack necessarily, but it feels anyway, like people are a little bit more insulated. They aren't really going outside of their comfort zone or bubble to help other people. So I guess maybe I'm, I'm in that I'm just trying to say, you know, like if there is an older person in your neighborhood or in your family that you could just, you know, just things that don't really take a lot of time or effort can make a huge impact. For sure. Um, I don't think I touched on this, but, you know, when I was six years old, my best friend was an 85-year-old woman named Lillian, and we were next door neighbors, and we had the same birthday, and I was five, and she was, you know, 85, and I would visit her every day, and we we did things together. Lil could make meatballs, but she couldn't crush the breadcrumbs, so, you know, we worked together, so, I mean, if I was able to help someone at six years old, I think we could all probably help someone out at any age and yeah. in, in some way. Um, so yeah, I'd certainly encourage, reach out, see if people need help. Don't assume they all do, but mm-hmm. some people do. And so if you can help them out, please do so. It's hard for them. Yeah. And I like that idea of drawing on each other's strengths rather yeah. than looking at weaknesses. Yeah. Aging's not disability, no. right? There's still so many remaining abilities. Maybe your ability has to look different. Maybe it needs to be tweaked. Um, so it's just about finding, you know, creative ways to kind of help them do things that are important to them. Thank you. So my next question for you is I'm an older adult who has inspired you. Yeah. So like I said, my best friend, Lil, I was five. <laughs> she was awesome. Um, I also had a unique experience of having an older father. He was quite a bit older. So um, when I was, you know, 15, my dad was the age of all my friends' grandparents. Um, so my dad uh, really shaped who I was, uh, really shared the importance of volunteering for helping people that need help. Um, and so I'd say he's been a huge, huge influence on my interest in work with older adults. I lost him a little bit earlier than everybody else would because of that, it, you know, that he was a lot older than most of my dads. But I say it all the time, I kind of got this amazing experience of a hybrid dad slash grandfather. Um, And because of that, I got passionate about things like palliative care, end of life care, what's quality of life. I got exposed a little bit younger. So I think he was probably another one that really shaped it. And then finally, I had a grandfather that was so special to me. And we had a special bond. He had dementia. And even though he couldn't remember so many people in the world, for some reason, I got to stick in his mind and in his memory. And um, I think he's the reason why I got really passionate about dementia care. Okay. And finally, if there's one thing that you could tell the world about older adults, what would it be? Yeah, so I said it earlier, but I think everyone needs to take it home that aging is such a unique experience. It's not the end of meaningful life. Um, There's still purpose. There's still meaning to people. And let them kind of be the judge of what that is. Um, And we can learn so much from their life experiences. So don't write them off as, you know, these failing bodies that, you know, are kind of just maybe um, filling up filling up beds in hospitals or not able to kind of do things on their own. That's, that's not the case. Um, if you can sit, take the time, sit down with an older adult. And I think that you'll learn a lot from them. Definitely. Thank you so much for your time today, Jennifer. No problem. Thanks for having me. We, uh, we had some technical <laughs> difficulties for a while and Jennifer stuck through it and I really appreciate it. So thank you again to you and thank you to the listeners. And I hope that you'll tune in next time to you.